Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Sir Gibby, Episode 1 Come out, oh the gutter, cried in harsh line voice a woman standing on the curbstone of a short, narrow, dirty lane at right angles to an important thoroughfare, itself none of the widest or cleanest. She was dressed in dark petticoat and print wrapper. One of her shoes was down at the heel and discovered a great hole in her stocking. Had her black hair been brushed and displayed, it would have revealed a thready glitter of gray, but all that was now visible of it was only two or three untidy tresses that dropped from under a cap of black net and green ribbons, which looked as if she had slept in it. Her face must have been handsome when it was young and fresh, but was now beginning to look tattooed, though whether the collar was from without or from within, it would have been hard to determine. Her black eyes looked resolute, almost fierce, above her straight, well-formed nose. Yet evidently circumstance clay fast to her. She had never risen above it, and was now plainly subjected to it. About thirty yards from her, on the farther side of the main street, and just opposite the mouth of the lane, a child, apparently about six, but in reality about eight, was down on his knees, raking with both hands in the gray dirt of the kennel. At the woman's cry he lifted his head, ceased his search, raised himself, but without getting up, and looked at her. They were notable eyes out of which he looked, of such a deep blue were they, and having such long lashes, but more notable far from their expression, the nature of which, although a certain confidence was at once discoverable, was not to be determined without the help of the whole face, whose diffused meaning seemed in them to deepen almost to speech. Whatever was at the heart of that expression, it was something that enticed question and might want investigation. The face, as well as the eyes, was lovely, not very clean, and not too regular for hope of a fine development, but chiefly remarkable from a general effect of something I can only call luminosity. The hair which stuck out from his head in every direction, like a round fur cap, would have been of the red-gold kind had it not been sunburned into a sort of human hay. An odd creature altogether, the child appeared, as shaking the gutter drops from his little dirty hands, he gazed from his bare knees on the curbstone at the woman of rebuke. It was but for a moment. The next he was down, raking in the gutter again. The woman looked angry and took a step forward, but the sound of a sharp, imperative little bell behind her made her turn at once and re-enter the shop from which she had just issued. Following a man, whose pushing the door wider had set the bell ringing, Above the door was a small board, nearly square, upon which was painted in lead collar, on a black ground, the words, licensed to, to, to sell beer and tobacco to be drunk on the premises. There was no other sign. Them at likes my whusky, you'll no way be spearing my name, said Mistress Crowell. As the day went on, she would have more and more customers, and in the evening, on the on to midnight, her parlor would be well filled. 
Then she would be always at hand, and the spring of the bell would be turned aside from the impact of the opening door. Now the bell was needful to recall her from house affairs. The lichenat crater, his for clean dirt, he's been at it this hell half hour, she murmured to herself as she poured from a black bottle into a pewter measure a gill of whiskey for the pale-faced topper who stood on the other side of the counter, far gone in consumption. He could not get through the forenoon without his mourning. I would like, she went on, as she replaced the bottle without having spoken a word to her customer, whose departure with the same boisterous alacrity as her arrival by the shrill toned bell. I would like, for his father's sake, honest man, to throw Gibby's lug, that lacking for dirt I cannot fathom nor bide. Meantime, the boy's attention seemed entirely absorbed in the gutter. Whatever vehicle passed before him, whatever footsteps behind, he never lifted his head, but went creeping slowly on his knees along the curb, still searching down the flow of the sluggish, nearly motionless current. It was a gray morning, towards the close of autumn. The days began and ended with a fog. But often between, as gold and a sunshine glorified the streets of the gray city as any that ripened purple grapes. Today the mist had lasted longer than usual, had risen instead of disappearing, but now it was thinning, and at length, like a slow blossoming of the sky flower, the sun came melting through the cloud. Between the gables of two houses a ray fell upon the pavement and the gutter. It lay there a very type of purity, so pure that rest, where it might, it destroyed every shadow of defilement that sought to mingle with it. Suddenly the boy made a dart upon all fours and pounced like a creature of prey upon something in the kennel. He had found what he had been looking for so long. He sprang to his feet and bounded with it into the sun, rubbing it as he ran upon what he had for trousers, of which there was nothing below the knees, but a few streamers, and nothing above the knees but the body of the garment, which had been, I will not say made for, but last worn by a boy three times his size. His feet, of course, were bare, as well as his knees and legs. But though they were dirty, red, and rough, they were nicely shaped little legs, and the feet were dainty. The sunbeams he sought came down through the smoky air like a Jacob's ladder, and he stood at the foot of it like a little prodigal angel that wanted to go home again, but feared it was too much inclined for him to manage the scent in the present condition of his wings. But all he did want was to see in the light of heaven what the gutter had yielded him. He held up his find in the radiance and regarded it admiringly. It was a little earring of amethyst-colored glass, and in the sun looked lovely. The boy was in an ecstasy over it. He rubbed it on his sleeve, sucked it to clean it from the last of the gutter, and held it up once more in the sun where for a few blissful moments he contemplated it speechless he then caused it to disappear somewhere about his garments i will not venture to say in a pocket and ran off his little bare feet sounding thud 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 on the pavement and the collar of his jacket sticking halfway up the back of his head and threatening to rub it bare as he ran through street after street he sped, all built of granite, all with flagged footways, and all paved with granite blocks, 
a hard, severe city, not beautiful or stately, with its thick, gray, sparkling walls, for the houses were not high, and the windows were small, yet in the better parts, nevertheless, handsome as well as massive and strong. To the boy, the great city was but a house of many rooms, all for his use, his sport, his life. He did not know much of what lay within the houses, but that only added the joy of mystery to possess treasure caves, indeed with secret fountains of light, and every street was a channel into which they overflowed. It was in one of quite a third-rate sort, and at length ceased his trot, and drew up at the door of a baker's shop, a divided door, opening in the middle by a latch of bright brass. But the child did not lift the latch, only raised himself on tiptoe by the help of its handle to look through the upper half of the door, which was of glass, into the beautiful shop. The floor was of flags, fresh sanded. The counter was of deal, scrubbed as white almost as flour. On the shelves were heaped the loaves of the morning's baking, along with a large store of scones and rolls and bats. The last, the best bread in the world. Biscuits hard and soft, and those brown discs of delicate, flaky pie-crust, known as buns. And the smell that came through the very glass it seemed to the child was as that of the tree of life and the paradise of which he had never heard. But most enticing of all to the eyes of the little wanderer of the street were the penny loaves, hot smoking from the oven, which fact is our first window into the ordered nature of the child. For the main point which made them more attractive than all the rest to him was that sometimes he did have a penny, and that a penny loaf was the largest thing that could be had for a penny in the shop, so that lawless as he looked, the desires of the child were moderate, and his imagination wrought within the bounds of reason. But no one who has never been blessed with only a penny to spend and a mighty hunger behind it can understand the interest with which he stood there and through the glass watched the bread, having no penny and only the hunger. There is at least one powerful bond, though it may not always awake sympathy, between mudlark and monarch, that of hunger. No one has yet written the poetry of hunger has built up in verse its stairs of grand ascent from such hunger as Gibby's for a penny loaf up no no not to be an alderman's feast that is the way down the moldy cellar stair but up the white marble scale to the hunger after righteousness whose very longings are bliss behind the counter sat the baker's wife a stout, fresh-colored woman, looking rather dull, but simple and honest. She was knitting, and if not dreaming at least, dozing over her work, for she never saw the forehead and eyes, which like a young ascending moon gazed at her over the horizon of the opaque half of her door. There was no greed in those eyes, only much quiet interest. He did not want to get in, had to wait, and while waiting beguiled the time by beholding, he knew that Missy, the baker's daughter, was at school, and that she would be home within half an hour. He had seen her with tear-filled eyes as she went, and learned from her in the call, and had in consequence unwittingly roused Mrs. Crowell's anger, and braved it when aroused. But though he was waiting for her, such was the absorbing power of the spectacle before him that he never heard her approaching footsteps. "'Let me in,' said Missy, with conscious dignity and a touch of indignation at being impeded on the very threshold of her father's shop. 
The boy started and turned, but instead of moving out of the way, began searching in some mysterious receptacle, hid in the recesses of his rags. A look of anxiety once appeared, but the same moment it vanished, and he held out his hand, the and he held out in his hand the little drop of amethystine splendor. Missy's face changed, and she clutched it eagerly. That's real good, o oh ye wee Gibby, she cried. Where did ye get it? He pointed to the kennel, and drew back from the door. I thank ye, she said heartily, and pressing down the thumb stall of the latch, went in. "'What's that you're a colloguing with, Missy?' asked her mother, somewhat severely, but without lifting her eyes from her wares. "'Ye mawn a be speckin' to in the street. It's only we Gibby, mither,' answered the girl in a tone of confidence. "'Oh, well,' returned the mother. "'But what had ye to say to him?' she resumed, as if afraid her leniency might be taken advantage of. He's no fit company for the likes so you, and he's a father, and mither, and a chop shop. Ye mon hey little to say to sick laddies. Gibby has a father, though they say he never hidden a mither, said the child. Troth a fine father, rejoined the mother, with a small, scornful laugh. Nah, but he's something to mat mention, oh, sick a father, lassie, as it would be telling him he hain't named. What said ye till him? I bit thanked him, cause I tent my drop as I gad to the shore i the morning, and he fran till me, and was at the chop door waitin' to give me to him back. They say he's in fine things. He's a good hearted creature, said the mother, for ain't that is at been sale brought up. She rose, took from the shelf a large piece of bread, composed of many adhering penny loaves, detached one, and went to the door. Here, Gibby, she cried as she opened it. Here's a fine piece to ye. But no Gibby was there. Up and down the street not a child was to be seen. A sand boy with a donkey cart was the sole human arrangement in it. The baker's wife drew back, shut the door, and resumed her knitting. Thank you for listening to another episode of Baker Soft Story Classic.